On Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz, we take a cinematic excursion through the work of the magnificent Filipino character actor Vic Diaz. Welcome to Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz. On this high-kicking episode, we're looking at Terrence H. Winkless's action classic, Blood Fist, from 1989, starring Don the Dragon Wilson, Billy Blanks, and, of course, Vic Diaz as the aptly named Detective. Joining me, as always, is the Dean of Deadly Games, Doug Tilly. What's shaking, Doug? Liam, it's so nice to be able to take a bit of a respite from the world as a whole and sure, to yeah. sink in to another Vic Diaz role. And this one in particular, very exciting because Whew. we get so much Vic Diaz. So compelling. <laughs> just a just a font of passion and acting. Well, we are kidding, of course, and we'll get into why we're kidding in just a little bit. But it, I, I really do, you know, we were excited when we announced that we were going to be doing Blood Fist on the uh, most recent episode of Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz. And that enthusiasm carried me into, you know, revisiting not just this movie, but kind of revisiting my thoughts on this era of movie. And when your VHS, uh, you know, when your local video store, its shelves were filled with low-budget action movies of a very similar mold to Blood Fist, especially sure. in the in the sort of wake of, of the rise of Jean-Claude Van Damme and Bloodsport. Uh, there were a lot of imitators that came immediately afterwards, and Blood Fist is certainly one of those. Yeah, I mean, when you saw the poster, Doug, were you not reminded of seeing this VHS you know, throughout your childhood? Because I, I certainly remembered seeing it over and over again. And not just this one, but like in a row on a video yep. store shelf yes. with a, a lot of the different sequels to this movie and probably a few other Don the Dragon Wilson movies interspersed with it as well. It's kind of strange. You know, I, I've said this about um, 80s movies, that when I was growing up as a kid, the, the movies that are now considered classics or like kind of really polished uh, kids entertainment, you know, your, your E.T.'s and um and your raiders of the lost ark and things like that for me in my mind they sat alongside movies like crawl and uh and explorers and they were all seen to me as a kid as of the same quality and i think i thought thought the same thing when it came to the action movies of the early 90s and late 80s to me it's like oh yeah they're all of this kind of general quality uh which is uh, why i was a little bit surprised when i actually watched this movie and I'm not talking about necessarily the quality of the movie as a whole, but just like the production value compared to like a Hollywood movie is actually pretty significantly lower. It's hard to remember that there's a strain of VHS action uh, of the 80s and even into the 90s that are just the really the spiritual children of exploitation. Like yes. this movie is closer to like a Force 5 or like really it, – it, uh, even if you're not a fan of these kind of movies, if you've even watched uh, collections of trailers, then you know that in the later 70s, there was what you could think of as the American response to martial arts, right? Like you, you have 73, you have this explosion of these martial arts films from Hong Kong really becoming moneymakers and you know, never quite reaching that height again, but sort of setting let's say creating a wave and that wave continues on. And so what's interesting about some of these eighties action films is that um, they might have been marketed as action. And I thought of them as action for a while, but they were really sort of um, 
the ancestors of these Americanized martial arts films that 100%. often featured karate champions, which, yeah. by the way, was not what was going on oftentimes in the original martial arts movies. A lot of these martial arts actors were not karate champions or whatever. They were uh, folks who, yes, may have studied martial arts, but were also performers of a different kind. And some of these American movies, these champions could not act to save their <laughs> damn lives. <laughs> They just were people who had won a bunch of fights with a lot of rules, right? Like, they weren't even street fights. They were just, like, uh, pretend fights where you couldn't hit someone directly in the face. And yet, somehow, they were supposed to be, like, an a, a, a icon. You know, Enter the Dragon echoed forward in history to such a unbelievable extent. To the point yes. where, you know, a lot of these movies that we're talking about are just kind of variations on the formula that Enter the Dragon created. Yes, but but it's you're right. I mean, that's such a, a great point, which is that Bruce Lee, because he became more than a human after he passed away, that he became this kind of symbol. People talked for you know decades up to, till today about his credentials, let's say, yes. as a fighter, right? Especially because he was known for getting into fights. But you know, this wasn't an era when you had uh, kickboxing tournaments or UFC fighting or mixed martial arts generally. So it becomes kind of apocryphal in terms of what his abilities were in that field. And then it feels like Americans or American filmmakers or the producers of American films became obsessed with these credentials that that they would only accept an action star if you know it's it it's Steven Seagal who you know despite his lack of charisma he had all of the, these credentials regarding you know he trained armies and Aikido and things like that whether any of that is legitimate or not and then you have you know a kickboxing champion like Jean Claude Van Damme it feels like people were being chosen on these credentials rather than their abilities uh, to A, fight in front of a movie camera, and also their charisma levels. And it's so strange because it took until the 90s for someone like Jackie Chan to break through, who, again, you know, he, he did train in actual martial arts, but he really trained in stage fighting because he wants to be able to look good when he fights on screen. And what we see in this movie is that, as you already said, some of these real-life fighters, they're not so great when you put them in front of a movie camera. Uh, the martial arts that we see in a lot of our favorite martial arts movies is not what it looks like when people fight. It exactly. just isn't. Mm -hmm. And the idea that you could take what it looks like when people actually fight and make it cool wasn't really a thing to me until way later. I would argue that some of the work of like a Tony Jaa mm -hmm. manages to add acrobatics to a fighting style that really is like, I'm going to hurt you. Yes. You know what I mean? And that, that that only came much, much later. And it was really him saying, okay, well, this part, I'm just going to mess this guy up, and then I'm going to do a flip. And you know, he, in a real fight, he would never do that dumb flip. He would never sure. do it. But he knew that for the camera, it would look good. And that combination of showiness with a style that would actually destroy you in a real fight was like a new thing. But here, we have these people doing, oftentimes, the most boring versions of karate or taekwondo or whatever it is. And and I'm sure whatever they're doing is technically very good, but it just isn't cinematic. It's not fun to look at. And I don't just mean this movie. This is a whole genre. It really got to a point where, for me, I started only getting what I called them at the time. I I, I called them, you know, kung fu movies. And mm -hmm. that, you know, is I was describing any movie that had this much martial arts in it as a kung fu movie, whether sure. that was accurate mm -hmm. or not. If it had too many white people on the cover, I just wouldn't get it. 
Because I would just assume this is going to be a movie about a lot of posturing and a couple of kicks and not a movie with actual... Now, I was giving up a lot in that because, as we'll discuss in this movie, the other element that American films brought that weren't as popular in the Hong Kong movies was nudity and sex. Yes. And that's really what they offered was... Bad fighting, but occasional nudity. And so I knew I was giving up the nudity part to get the better fighting. But, you know, I, I kind of was okay with that to a certain extent. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, this movie was produced by Concord Films. Uh, Roger Corman produced it. And it's, you know, as you mentioned, this is sort of the 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 child or like the next generation of some of those mid-70s Philippine shot exploitation movies. So there is a lot of fighting in this movie, but there's also, as you said, there's lashings of sex, there's violence, like the violence outside of the, the martial arts scenes and an attempt at a story. Uh, it, it, it does feel like it's, it's sort of a... Um, uh, not a tribute, but like it's 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 meant to be the next generation of something like that. But like that also goes into how this movie is marketed because, like you said, these credentials that are necessary for the action stars. Well, if you're Roger Corman, well, not let's not just have one person with these kickboxing credentials. Let's no. have like four names on yeah. the with and then have all these quotes from different martial arts magazines saying, finally, we get to see real martial arts on screen, which is just people kind of weakly kicking at each other for 10 minutes at a time. Um, but uh, again, I cannot speak to the credentials, the legitimate credentials of the people that are in this movie. Um, my understanding is that Don the Dragon Wilson is was a legitimate martial artist. It's funny, um, he shows up briefly and say anything, which I guess is his real... Uh, acting debut the same year as this, 1989, um, as as the person training John Cusack in kickboxing at the time. But in terms of him making his splash, his debut, it's kind of meager beginnings to watch this, considering like he's made like dozens of movies over his career. Sure, uh, not exactly a fountain of charisma on screen here in Blood Fist. Oh no, and it's clear. That's not why he was. I mean, yeah, one could argue the same with Billy Blanks, right? Like, I well, don't. I mean, that, I, I was going to talk about this when we talk about the movie, but that's that's really what I was getting at. Which I, I don't know why Billy Blanks isn't the star of this movie. It seems like he actually is fair, a lot more comfortable fair. in front of the camera. I think that's true, but I think that this movie is sort of built on uh, Don the Dragon Wilson. Like, there's just something about him almost in the fact that he is a martial artist who seems less assuming you know mm. B- billy blanks uh, I, don't, I don't i don't want to be too harsh about this but billy blanks as well as some of the other people in this movie who aren't white are utilized in their not whiteness to be othered and scary he's supposed yes. to be scary mm-hmm. he's a big scary he's a big scary blackman doug i mean that's yeah. really how he's utilized the same way that our asian again we're in the philippines at a martial arts uh you know dojo and we only have three asian champions that's weird right that just seems odd that the well most of them are going to be white people actually well why why does that why does that the the, make sense you know but that's where we're at and of our three asian uh fighters two of them are just meant to be scary just scary (laughs) asians you know and it's weird it's weird and it's especially weird well we'll get it we'll get into it more when we talk about the movie maybe we should actually take our break liam and yeah yeah i really want to get into it All right, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about 1989's martial arts extravaganza, Blood Fist. We'll be right back. 
Rated the greatest kickboxer of all time, Don Wilson's dazzling talents have been featured in numerous martial arts publications like American Karate and Dojo Magazines. And the experts agree, Wilson delivers round after round of pure kickboxing excitement. Why am I fighting? To fight or to fight Mike's killer? Inside Kung Fu Magazine states, Don Wilson is by far the most exciting fighter on the scene today. Black Belt Magazine says, finally, a major martial arts movie starring the greatest kickboxers in the world. And American Karate Magazine says, Don Wilson is quite frankly, a one-man army. It's vengeance you live for. It was vengeance. You die for. Don Wilson plays retired kickboxer Jake Ray, who travels to Manila, where his brother is favored to win a kickboxing competition. His brother is killed, and Jake realizes he must enter the competition himself to flush out his brother's killer. That's a not-quite-accurate description of the plot <laughs> of 1989's Blood Fist, directed by Terrence H. Winkless, uh, known for 1987's The Nest. I mean, I, I don't know. I shouldn't say known. He directed 1987's <laughs> The Nest uh, and, and uh, 1995's remake of Not of This Earth. Um, oh, I did not know this, and I didn't see this earlier. Also directed 36 episodes of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, which I'd like to pretend I know nothing about, but I know something about y'all. Yeah, but, uh, we should about. mention, uh, Liam, that that he, so he he did direct all those episodes of Money More from Power Rangers, but uh, I think a lot of our listeners would probably know that all the martial arts footage from Money More from Power oh, Rangers sure. is taken from those original uh, those original Japanese series. So I guess he just directed the stuff. With no, the- to be fair, Doug. To be fair, they always had at least five minutes of the American kids doing martial arts outside of the costumes, just yeah. to remind you that they could do martial arts. And it wasn't all fake. But yes. again, it was only five minutes per episode. <laughs> so I guess that's what Terrence H. Winkless was responsible yeah, for. Exactly. Um, uh, oh, this movie was also written by Robert King, writer of Cutthroat Island, uh, the Dana Carvey comedy Clean Slate. Um, the cast, Don the Dragon Wilson. As... No, no, no. We can't, you can't just skip the other stuff because that's what's interesting. Robert King went on to create The Good Wife, the incredibly well-received TV series oh, as well, as, well yeah. as the 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 zombie satire, political satire, Brain Dead. He's like a huge producer, and he directs and writes a bunch of these uh, episodes of this show as well. Yeah, these these are the kind of humble beginnings he came from. Uh, and even Cutthroat Island, of course, was a notorious huge flop. But yeah, Robert King started with Blood Fist, moved to The Good Wife. Interesting, interesting. Um, I don't care about The Good Wife, so I just skipped it. My bad. Uh huh. <laughs> uh, cast as we said already Don the Dragon Wilson as Jack Ray uh, Joe Mari Avelina as Kwong that's the that's the uh, 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 well the heel I guess uh, Rob Kamen as Rattan Billy Blanks as Black Rose uh, Chris Aguilar as Chin Wu uh, so um you added the note in here that as of 2005, there are nine, nine Blood Fist films. Whew. I just, I we'll, we'll talk about why that's utterly overwhelming. But before we do that, I, I, I should, wanna... I just, just to put out there, Liam, just because I know some listeners are going to be upset. There are nine Blood Fist movies, though the ninth is a, uh, like a futuristic one. It doesn't have Don the Dragon Wilson in it, while the other eight all have Don the Dragon Wilson in it. Though only the second one is a sequel where he plays the same character. Every other one is 
a completely original story that is not tied to this movie at all. Well, that's just the story of sequels in America. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> come on. There's so many I've watched where I'm like, okay, you just put this. This, this was another script, and you just sort of made it this. Okay. Uh, but let's talk about this movie, Doug, not about the nine sequels it has. Uh, what did you think of Blood Fist? The thing about this movie is it, the formula is hard to screw up. Right. The idea of coming to this tournament, trying to find the person who murdered your brother, you know, getting through it, it, it in terms of a structure, it's engaging by its very nature. And to that extent, the movie works. Right. You get that emotional climax at the end. Uh, you get to see that the person who's been training down the Dragon Balls the whole time was actually evil and didn't want him to win, was responsible for his brother's. That's a spoiler, by the way. But I mean, it's blood fist. Um, so in the sense that the structure works, it's it's fine. My problem with this movie is that it's very poorly made uh, in that it, it feels extremely cheap. I mean, they obviously shot in the Philippines because they thought they could save money and maybe get some more production value. But it actually, it, it when you compare it even to the fairly low-budget Jean-Claude Van Damme movies that it was ripping off, it feels particularly threadbare. And the performances, as we've already referred to, are very weak. The martial arts in it is shockingly bad at times, especially because there's a mixture of people who are obviously very adept in real life who are maybe not so good at screen fighting. And then you have other people who not only are not adept at screen fighting, but don't have any martial arts credentials. And they're all intermingling in these fight scenes sometimes. So it's, I was actually a little surprised at how poor a lot of it was. But with all that said, it did deliver what people who would have seen it on the video store shelves in the late 80s, early 90s wanted. They wanted to see basically more of the same from the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies that they had been watching. And that's what this movie delivers. But uh, I mean, when I come down to it, what I'm going to take away from this movie is just being a great fighter in real life does not give you uh, a necessarily intimidation or charisma on screen. Oh, 100%. And I think that that is something... No one who spent any time watching uh, martial arts films would assume that number one thing you need to be able to do to be a great uh, martial arts star on camera is to be good at beating people up. Like, I just don't think that that uh, translates at all. And this film is a great example of it. Um, I'm going to agree with you. I I'm going to disagree a little bit, only to say that I think the quality of the acting in the martial arts is totally on par with what I expect from any of this movie's contemporaries. I think this is about average. Where I will agree with you that this movie, weirdly, is really bad is actually post-production. The sound is bad. The editing is bad. Those are not things that anyone could have figured out on set. That is even all the, stuff even that the like stock footage looks terrible. Yeah, I just, I just think it's weird that this movie took off considering the accoutrement that <laughs> you know what I mean sort of makes a movie a movie and not just a bunch of footage is where the movie truly sucks. Like it's truly because to me, I knew going in this was going to be some cheesy. Jean-Claude Van Damme ripoff. And and to be fair, when I say that, I'm not giving a lot of respect here because I, unlike a lot of people I know who have maybe a nostalgic or ironic appreciation, I do not like Jean-Claude Van Damme. I do not mm -hmm. like his movies. I enjoyed them when I was a kid, and I consider that the time when I didn't know better. And now I'm not in. And so when I say ripoff, I mean it with a supreme disrespect because you're ripping off something that isn't that good to begin with. And yet... I didn't find this any worse than any of those movies. And 
all of these movies have a little bit of entertainment for me, especially one like this that feels unlike some of like I would argue Bloodsport or Kickbox or whatever. This movie feels to me closer to its exploitation roots. And there's mm. something about that I like. I like it's a little gritty. I like it's a little honestly immoral and there's something about that that kind of appeals to me um i will say though the part that kept rubbing me the wrong way is that like a lot of these movies this is a fish out of water film in which uh uh uh, a kid from from california he his brother's been off trying to make his way in the philippines in this far, you know foreign land we're presented manila as this incredibly dangerous place Mm -hmm. where he should feel completely out of place. He goes there. He meets up with some safe, you know, I mean, I- I'm not saying this, but this is how the movie presents it. Safe white people. Yeah. Everyone he interacts with who isn't white, isn't trustworthy, except for his coach, who turns out to not be trustworthy. So right. the whole thing is about that. And it's all with a star who is half Japanese. And the movie just ignores that. His brother, who the guy who plays his brother is Caucasian. He only interacts positively with Caucasian folks, except for this one guy who ends up, you know, stabbing him in the back. The whole vibe is that he is a complete fish out of water. Now, I'm not saying that just because he's Japanese, he would feel at home in the Philippines, but it just seems weird that we're all just supposed to, like, ignore that he is not, uh, uh, honestly, 100% white, but the whole narrative focuses on this, like, weird... Uh, colonialist, honestly, narrative where like every other person of color is like, uh, you know, either background or a monster. Honestly, like it's 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 it is like a classic sort of um, you know, racist, but really more colonialist trope with a guy who is Japanese. It just seems weird. It's such a weird dec- and I get that it's a decision made because they're like we want the audience to identify with you and you are a champion. And that, those are the things that we we want to focus on. Um but it just doesn't work for me and it actually makes elements that I already don't like, which is this whole oh man, I'm a white guy and I'm in the Philippines. What am I going to do? Oh no. I don't like that story plot to begin with. It's already something that like bums me out. It's highlighted by the fact that it's played by a guy who's half Japanese. It almost <laughs> feels like, again, it, it feels like uh, like we're all supposed to pretend something that isn't real. And it, it, it really made this movie a little bit unpleasant for me, even as I found some of its other aspects, such as the obvious exploitation of his female co-star's uh, body, which is like gross, but also so cliche for this time period that it's like, kind of funny and it's like unapologeticness like yeah yeah of course she's a stripper why wouldn't she be a stripper it's like <laughs> it's it, it it is it is offensive but it's actually cheesy so it doesn't really offend that much you know what i mean i feel the same way about some of the characterization like you could roll with this as a goofy example of something that's bad but it's a funny example of bad but something about him having to pretend he isn't who he is mm-hmm. just rubs me the wrong way. Especially, they could have done the same plot. Yes, he's Japanese, but he's from America, whatever. Why have his brother be 100% just a random white dude? It just is weird. It's a weird decision to make. Uh, not to defend the movie uh, movie's decision in regards to that at all, but to me, the fact that this takes place in the Philippines 
it might as well take place on the island that Enter the Dragon takes place on. Right. right? They don't. It's just, there's nothing about it. Yeah. It just has to be a foreign, you know, relatively Asian land. So it, it, it gives it the credibility of being an other place. But the very fact that they name it as Manila and they shot it in the Philippines just adds an extra kind of unpleasant layer to it. Because like right. you said, he goes there, you know, tourists are getting pickpocketed, having their stuff stolen. He has to beat up some kids. That's, by the way, one of the first things we see him do in terms of action is to beat up three children who try to steal his yeah. bag. Yeah. <laughs> It's so it's such a weird decision. It's like he has to establish like I'm not just some tourist. I can beat up a 12-year-old apparently. <laughs> uh, to be fair, Doug, two 12-year-olds. That's a little bit more. I mean, that's fair enough. And the third one just gives him his bag back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then later he tries to hide his bag in some bushes and <laughs> anyway, you're right. He is shown to be completely clueless when it comes to actually maneuvering through this foreign land. And it's it's a little embarrassing uh, to watch. It's a lot embarrassing. Um, I do think this characterization of this kind of neophyte, this guy who doesn't know what's going on, that is the cliche of these kind of movies. But like you said, it just, it really doesn't really work. Maybe it's also because Don Wilson wasn't that young when he made this movie. Right. right. And, 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 you know, he'd been a kickboxer since the 70s and basically a decade of being a professional fighter. Sure. You would think that, that you, you would lean into that a little bit more of, you know, somebody who is not necessarily grizzled, but clearly knows how to handle himself. The weird thing about this movie is that he doesn't seem to be much of a kickboxer at the beginning. No. Because Kwong sort of has to train him to be a kickboxer because he says, like, you know, if you just use your fists, that's only two things to hit with. When you have your feet, that's four things. And it's like it's like he, tra he trained him to be a world-class kickboxer in, like, a couple of days to enter this tournament. It might have been two weeks. I couldn't yeah. tell. The time, the time frame is weird. But, yeah, it is a strange – and also – it's so obvious. The whole plot of the only way to find your brother's killer is to enter the tournament. There's no effort made to convince you about why that's a good idea because it's clearly a bad idea. There's no reason to think if I enter the tournament, I will suddenly be able to figure out who the killer is. They, yeah. don't, they don't try to sell you on it at all, which is why, uh, again, we talked about this, but I want to be clear. For you, Doug, you were like, oh, it's kind of a surprise that it's the co For me... From moment one, I'm like, oh, the one the one Asian gentleman who gets to be a full human, he's the traitor. <laughs> I just knew immediately that's what they were going to do, especially when he keeps pushing him so hard for no reason. He's given no indication of what his plan is to reveal who the killer is. And so I just knew he was going to. Now, I wasn't, you know, predicting uh, a poisoned mango. As the method of betrayal, that was a big surprise. But uh, but you know, I, you know, it, I like when he arrives there. Did you eat the mango? It's like, Did you eat the mango? <laughs> uh, I do yeah, want to say, go ahead. Liam, that that the so you expect that these competitors, these real life martial artists, maybe aren't going to be the best actors. I will say that the person that disappointed me and frustrated me the most in this movie is the guy who plays Baby Davies, his best friend, or the sure. friend that he makes yes. in the Philippines, Michael Shaner, who is an actual actor, but in this movie comes off as just a really irritating character. I think he's meant to be like an equivalent of um, 
the the Donald Gibb character from Bloodsport, the the guy from Revenge of the Nerds, the big hairy guy, who you know he's going to be a guy that as soon as he's introduced in the movie, you know he's going to get killed later on, and he, it's going to be part of the revenge that you're going to see. But it, like he's there's nothing at all positive or fun about him nope. for some reason and this plays into what you were saying about the post-production like a lot of his dialogue is terribly dubbed and it looks really bad and i i just mean terribly dubbed because they had trouble recording sound um and then it just it's just a really strange character also why is he good at martial arts i don't really understand his character it none of that makes sense at all his entire introduction doesn't make sense the idea like and then he's got this sister character and like what are we to make of she's the only person who's bothered to learn Filipino, you know, or uh, let's say tag. I'm sorry. Tagalog yeah. is the language they speak in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. She's the only person who's bothered to learn it. No one else thought like I've been here for a few years. Maybe I should figure out what people are saying to me. Uh, and then the whole subplot of there being a, a local girl who's into him, who like helps him fight better, but he's like, what too good for her at first. Yeah. I don't, there's such a weird, Again, the whole thing of like uh, this stranger in a strange land plot. Um, please save this, y'all, only for your movies about aliens. I no longer want to see anyone. I mean, it, it. You know, it would have been better if they had some like, honestly, some Asian Americans. Like there could have been a guy from Los Angeles there who just happened to be Asian, and it would be it would be like, oh yeah, I don't know how to speak Filipino. I just came here to learn to fight. That would have made it a little less weird. But this idea of like, hey, you know, we're white folks. We don't have to learn Tagalog. We just came here to kick ass. It's weird, right? It's just the whole thing seems so <laughs> odd to me. And um, and again, it's 1989, so I, sh- I, I, I get it. I'm being silly. I, I, I have seen enough of these movies to know this is where we're going. But it just felt strange in this particular case. And with his character... He's the guy who's been there a while. He's supposed to be helping our character, who really only just got there, to know the ropes of the world. And he's as ignorant of where he lives as anyone else. He has no idea what's going on. He's Mm -hmm. completely a fool. And he's not even good at fighting. Why is he here? What is the point of this? What is going on? I guess he's okay at fighting. I do think it's weird. So so for this tournament, it's really a bunch of real life fighters who are not given much dimension and then there's one really dangerous guy chin Wu, and chin Wu is a murderer and that's another thing that that's strange about this movie the death of his brother is meant to be like like they had to cover it up because it's just this this murder that happened chin Wu murders someone in every round of this tournament but then eventually baby davies the the friend character he has to fight chin Wu in the semi-finals he doesn't seem that worried about the fact that a Chin Wu beats the shit out of everybody, and B, that he kills everyone in this tournament, and when he eventually doesn't get uh, immediately killed, he gets put into a coma and then dies in hospital, which is another weird decision. Um, that's like that's where we're supposed to be like really upset. It's like, dude, you should not have been in this tournament in the first place. It's strange. It's a strange. It's and you know he kind of gets this attitude because he wins a few fights, but like. Hasn't this guy been killing dudes for a while? Like I don't, I don't know. <laughs> also, the idea that like he does it because he's a Vietnamese victim of napalm, and now everyone yeah. must suffer. It, it's such a classic American. Like we, the bad guys must always be victims of our badness, but now because they want revenge, they're the bad guys. You know what I, I mean? Feel, I feel. I mean, the guy is a murderer, so that's uh, you know a little mark against him. Yeah. But in his defense. We're supposed to think that Chin Wu is the person who killed 
Don Wilson's brother throughout sure. the movie. We, yeah. we, we know that that's not going to be the case, that there's going to be something else. But we're supposed to think that he is. But you find out at the end that he isn't responsible for it. And then first, uh, Baby Davies, that his his Filipino girlfriend, I guess you'd call her, she comes and tries to shoot him in the middle of the tournament. Then he has to keep fighting afterwards. And then Don Wilson beats the shit out of him horribly. Hey, you know what? I think that he should have had a do-over. I think he should have had another another shot <laughs> at that final round. When someone I, pulls I, a gun, I, 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 I feel like... But I think because he just kills her with one chop to the face that you're supposed to be like, all right, this guy's got to go. She had a gun. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. It's it'd be, it'd be different if other fighters also killed their opponents. But yeah. it is true that every time he kills one of these guys, it's never during the fight. The person is always succumbed, and then it's just an extra bit of nastiness he kills them. It's not like – it'd be different if it was like – passionless you know what i mean like i could see like he just beats everyone to death but it's Look, he's always like if I've they won don't the want fight, you to if they don't want you to kill your opponent they should make made a it rule. against the rules yeah, exactly kill your opponent if you're gonna allow it then hell you're gonna do it i don't well, i mean that's i, I, I mean that is a part of the plot that doesn't make sense is the fact that every time they have him kill someone it's always excessive you think at some point someone involved would go ayo just don't don't do don't you don't have to snap his neck. He's already unconscious. Just leave him alone. But like, no, they don't give a fuck. And the idea so part of the big betrayal here, y'all, <laughs> is that this coach, who you know is the evil Asian man, from the beginning, you 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 know, or at least I did, uh, when he does his big evil Asian man reveal, part of the betrayal is not just the betrayal, it's that he says, It's never been about the honor or the fighting. It's always been about the money. Um you just got to watch a couple minutes of this tournament to know that. That's just further proof that Donnie's character is an idiot. The fact that he was able to go through this whole fucking tournament and be like, yeah, it's about the honor. We're all fighting for our honor. It's about honor and fighting and, 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 and you know, good fighting. That's what's at stake. Nah, man, clearly you are just... Uh, you're just roosters, you know. You're just pit yeah. bulls. You are. You don't exist. No one cares about you. You're just something for them to bet on. Which, by the way, the whole idea that the entire I, you know, the entire nation of the Philippines is is animated purely by uh, a, a deadly desire to gamble on anything and everything yeah. is so freaking offensive that the fact that it ends up being the the hinge of the plot the whole movie actually hangs on the idea that money is what always mattered is like it's such a bummer doug it like really makes the movie mean which is funny because i don't hate hate this movie i just think like with just a few changes it would just be like a fun dumb movie from this time that right. i wouldn't seek out but i would watch it be like ha, ha, ha. remember when we thought this was a good martial arts movie <laughs> ha, ha, ha. that's funny and instead i left it going you motherfuckers yeah i mean it's it's also it depends on the perspective you take on it i think there's a lot of people that we are friends with who would think that this is a fairly inoffensive action entertainment it's just kind of poorly done but not anything more than that but this you know if you think about it a little bit it does seem a little insidious and a little unpleasant and Frankly, even if that wasn't the case, I don't think I'd walk out of this thinking that Blood Fist was some great action classic. Sure. It's just, it's a very derivative and a very poorly made in a lot of ways and poorly acted and poorly fought movie. But what's kind of notable about it, Liam, is it was a massive success. Huge. Like, people loved it. 
like Bloodsport was made for like two million dollars, and that made like fifty million dollars. That that's unbelievable success. But Blood Fist was made for like a million dollars, and on video it made like eleven million dollars. Which I'm sure for Concord for uh, for Roger Corman's company that they must have been like. No wonder there's eight sequels to it, right? I mean, of course, we're yeah, just going to keep yeah. making them, keep pumping them out. The, people saw this on uh, video store shelves, and everyone rented it, and people were not complaining at the time. This is exactly the sort of shit that they wanted. They wanted a carbon copy of what they'd seen before, right, and that's exactly yes. what they get. Do you, do you feel like this hit all the necessary cliches? Like, I feel like there's just things you have to have. Like, we've got the... Um, completely strange training sequences he's running up hills he's you know uh pressing bricks on a pole he's kicking glass bottles <laughs> well there's plenty of other things he could be kicking he's kicking glass bottles we've got um the tall blonde who's well endowed who we have mm-hmm. lots of reasons to see with her shirt off but she's also smarter than him and kind of yeah. like uh intellectual and she's learning the language we've got um random drunk old man who kind of wanders mm-hmm. around you know uh we as we've already pointed out we have goofy friend who's not actually good at martial arts but for some reason has to make it to the end of the tournament uh, we even have not one but uh two scary african american men just to just to round out our othering of other kinds of people is there any cliches that this movie missed, Doug? It's, hmm. I think the only thing that it doesn't lean very heavily into is the sexualization of Don Wilson himself. Right. And maybe that's because he does have those credentials and that they lean so heavily on that instead. I mean, it's not, look, we see the guy sweaty with his shirt off a whole lot, but it's not like you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme, where they linger on his body and his muscles and things like that, where it very much, you feel like that's part of the gaze is looking at Jean-Claude Van Damme. At the end of this movie, you don't think of Don Wilson's rippling biceps necessarily. Uh, That's just not what the movie is as interested in. And maybe that's because of the fact that it's, um, it comes from the same DNA as a lot of those exploitation movies of the seventies, which were a lot more interested in female bodies. Yeah, I mean, it really feels like with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme movie, just to be like heteronormative about it, he feels like he's doing something for the boyfriend and the girlfriend. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, mm-hmm. you know, he, he really feels like we need a, a very attractive woman and we need me and I'm the very attractive man. And there it is. This movie is uninterested in that. Um, and, and I will say, even in its treatment of the female co-star, um, there are far worse examples. So I don't want to lift this up as like, oh man, they really uh, objectified her. Like, this is like mild for these kind of movies honestly <laughs> at least she lives to the end of it so that's something I yes suppose. yes and, and she has lines you know yeah. she even teaches him a couple things so there's more of a character there so i don't want to completely downplay that but it is true like they could have the same movie without the nudity but they just had to she couldn't have a, uh, some job that didn't involve her being naked you know that i mean that has to be part I mean, again in the movie's defense she did have giant breasts <laughs> it's true and that's that's kind of part of the plot really but um but yeah, like you know, it's 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 funny how, in some ways, by hitting all the numbers that now we can kind of make fun of. At the time, it had to feel like, yo, we got a real winner here. Like we've we've really gotten all the bits that we need. This is really gonna work, um, and it did. People loved it, and again, maybe they didn't mind the less polished aspects of it. This movie really 
in my opinion, this movie makes Bloodsport feel like a big budget action <laughs> Yes. This movie makes <laughs> any Jean-Claude Van Damme movie really seem like uh, a tour, you know, made compared to this thing. But uh, but on the other hand, it still managed to hit those notes that people people cared about. Um, we've talked a lot about the movie, Doug. We haven't gotten yet to the to the man that brought us here, Vic Diaz, who, whew, I mean, without him, there's no movie, right? Like, it's just, he really carries the thing on his back. I'm joking. It, what did you think of Vic Diaz in the movie and what little part he played? So Vic Diaz plays, as we mentioned, the detective in the movie. Uh, there's a part fairly early in the movie where John Wilson goes to the police to find out about his brother. Uh, and he's basically told by the detective, played by Vic Diaz, to stop snooping around, that it's not going to lead to anything good. Then later in the movie, uh, he almost gets blackmailed for for murder, uh, Don Wilson does, and then Vic Diaz picks him up again and yells at him for sticking his nose where it didn't belong, and that is the entirety of Vic Diaz's part in this movie. Um, look, the fact is, these kind of roles where Vic Diaz is playing a police officer or uh or an army officer or a warden, that's his bread and butter. That's the kind of roles that he's known for. In fact, in the six roles that he plays throughout the 1990s, um, the, after this movie came out, almost all of them are some variation on that role. That said, I did expect to see a bit more of him in this simply because he is still a recognizable face. Uh, and he does have, again, that connection to those same mid-70s Roger Corman movies that we have here. I mean, I imagine that's why he ended up in this. I don't know if it's kind of a wink at the audience that might have been familiar with him from those movies or just that, hey, he's a reliable actor in the Philippines that we can use. But... Um, yeah, it's a little bit of a disappointment. I, I would have liked to have seen him, I guess, in the advisor role, but I can't really picture. I can't really picture Vic Diaz doing any martial arts. Sure, and I think that's uh, a big uh, barrier to that. But there is plenty of opportunities for him to do character work, for him to, to like do whatever, if not mm. in this particular role, in another role in the film. And so it does feel like he's underutilized. I wonder if this was really just a hookup, like. You know, here's some work. Here's a check. You know, or, or you know, maybe a hookup in the other direction. Like we don't have somebody for this role. We know Vic, whatever. But I, I, you know, I, for me, he is recognizable enough to a certain kind of fan that had to follow Corman to this movie. That like you'd think there'd be some notoriety to it, like some feeling of like, hey, look, it's Vic. You guys remember Vic. But that's not the vibe at all. And so, you know, again, I, I don't expect every movie we watch for this podcast for him to have a big role. But I was disappointed in this role that there wasn't. And I, I'm not critiquing his performance. I'm saying he's not given enough moments that he can own anything. He's just a tired cop who wants this uh, white boy, quote unquote, to go away. And that's really his only sort of role in the film. you know. I mean, and, and frankly, Vic Diaz's career is sort of wrapping up. Uh, yeah, starting it's true. Yeah. I mean, he had he had a very productive 70s and 80s. But like I said, six roles in the 1990s, then four more movies. And that's it for his entire career. So, um, you know, the productivity that he was putting out there and maybe the opportunities that were available for him in the 80s, maybe they were just drying up. So this might be, hey, it's a role in a movie that people are going to see. I'll take it. Yeah, I mean, I do want to say, like, um, we don't know. 
So this is like maybe he's just making his own decisions, whatever, whatever. If it if it's a question of opportunities, I can't help but think about the, one of our other actors we do a podcast about, Dick Miller, who was still being given great opportunities later into his life, you know. Um, and uh, I hope that the less work that Vic Diaz was doing was more of his decision and less of he's not being offered anything because that just that that would make me sad because i think he is pretty great i think it's it's the the key to it is simply that movies are not going to be made in the philippines as right. often right. right i mean the movies that you see that he did in the 1980s a lot of them were directed by serio santiago a lot of them were mad max ripoffs a lot of them were war movies you know uh in the 1990s, where action movies that are maybe a little bit more martial arts based, there isn't a ton of them that were necessarily filmed in the Philippines, especially when they could film them back in the United States, that they don't need to have those locations. They don't need to have the, the jungle in the background or they don't need to have, you know, they, they, or, the, or the deserts or whatever in order to make them look like other kinds of movies. I think when a lot of those kind of exploitation films from the 80s dried up and things were looking in a different direction, there just wasn't as many opportunities in the Filipino film industry. And that's where he was operating out of. I mean, every movie, I think, for the rest of his career, and probably a majority from before then, were all him in the Philippines acting. Yeah, I think that's fair. And in that way, that's part of why we you know, decided to do this podcast, because it's also telling the story of uh, filmmaking in the Philippines to a certain extent. So um, anyways, uh, Doug, do you think people should seek out Blood Fist? I know a lot of people have affection for this entire series. They're wrong. Uh, and I, I don't want to knock people who do enjoy these movies. I, do. I I don't think I've seen any of the sequels since probably when they came out. I probably saw one or two just because my brothers and I would just rent action movies. So Blood Fist 6 is as good as Blood Fist 1 in our eyes. Uh, and, and maybe the series gets a little bit more polished. It almost would have to as it went along. So uh, I don't want to speak for the series as a whole. It's just that this is such a clearly an imitation of better movies. And I don't even love Bloodsport that much. So the fact that it's an imitation of a movie I don't even love that much, how much could I love this movie? That said, there is some unique... There, It's not... I was going to say there's some unique elements. There isn't really any unique elements to it outside of the fact that you get to see Don Wilson at the beginning of his action career. And uh, if you're a fan of his work, and somebody is because he's made dozens and dozens of action movies in this vein, then maybe that's an interesting thing to view. Maybe you want to see Billy Blanks because you're a big Blanks head and you want to see where the Tybo guy started off. That might be interesting as well. Uh, or maybe you're just like us and you want to see Vic Diaz in, uh, in one of his late 80s roles. But unless you're one of those three categories, I just don't see a lot for you here. Yeah, I'm going to basically agree with you. I mean, on a pure entertainment level, there's stuff here that I don't hate. And some of the ways that this movie is bad are, like, funny to me. And I, I don't love liking a movie because I'm laughing at it. But right. I don't necessarily hate it, depending on what we're talking about. I will say the thing that I brought up does kind of bum me out a little bit. And it, it was less an issue while I was watching it, though it was part of it, it was more thinking about it later and saying, what a weird decision. What a weird casting decision to have uh, Don Wilson play this particular role considering the ways that this role is very tied to a certain kind of identity and a certain kind of, honestly, racism. Mm -hmm. um, and so that kind of bums me out a little bit, but I bet 
it's not that big a deal. You know what I mean? Like I'm really just bringing my critical lens. And if someone wanted to say, well, I didn't think about that when I watched it. I just thought about fighting and, and big boobs. I honestly can't judge you either because it's not, (laughs) it's not the most important part of the movie. It's just, it's just a fact that I've watched too many movies that play off of this particular trope. And it's just started to wear on me where I don't love this trope. And it's just started to be a little annoying. And it's it's in contrast to other films that I think, even if they are playing in the same playground, they do it better. So, you know, it, it, I think there is a certain kind of person that just loves these kind of action movies. Yes. I don't think you're wasting your time to watch this. I don't think it's a total... Uh, 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 you know, bum out. I just think that uh, chances are, if you love this kind of movie, you've seen a better version of it. Yes. So you don't need to see this one. It's so strange, right? You can put Enter the Dragon at the top, you can put Bloodsport in the middle, and you can put Blood Fist at the bottom. But uh, like I said, when I was a kid, I would have seen all those three things as the same sure. sort of thing. And I think there are people, other people even now, who see that. And I'm not knocking them because what they want out of their entertainment is probably a little different than what I'm looking for um i i was expecting it to be a little bit more fun than it was and in that sense i can't highly recommend yeah well uh that's it for blood fist on our next episode we're going to be covering 1974's savage sisters now i'm pretty excited about this doug because this is exactly up the alley of the sort of movie i want to be talking about i'll be honest though i don't know how much vic diaz is in it do you well, I would hope, since it's an Eddie Romero movie and he had a lot of, uh, of uh, collaboration with him as a director, that he he's likely to have a reasonably sized part in it. But you just never know. Hey, it's part of the fun of this. I have not seen Savage Sisters before. Like I said, one of the reasons I was excited about doing this podcast in the first place is that a lot of these Filipino shot exploitation movies in the 70s, uh, things that were showcased in, in the documentary Machete, Maidens Unleashed, were not things that I had seen before. I'd only heard of or seen trailers for. Savage Sisters is one of the big ones of those. And it has you know a lot of the names that you would expect to see, including Sid Haig. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm curious to see how much victory as we get. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Doug, if they want to check out more of this podcast, where can they find us on the interwebs? Well, the first place you should be headed is towards cinepunks.com, where you can find a whole bunch of other great podcast it's uh, been uh, recently revised the website has why don't you check it out and a lot of the writing that's over there as well you can follow that on various social networks under the name cinepunks you could also of course uh, go to cinemasmorgasbord.com see all of our various uh, different themed podcasts you can also leave us a review on itunes subscribe to us on our various podcast platforms uh, and just check out our archive of episodes as well you can of course also follow liam on twitter at liam rules that's r-u-l-z or i'm there on uh, <clears throat> or i'm there as well at uh, Doug underscore Tilly, that's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And you can, of course, find those links on the cinemasmorgasbord.com website as well. Follow Cinemasmorgasbord on Twitter at Cinemasmorg, S-M-O-R-G. If you've enjoyed this show, please go ahead and rate and review us on various platforms, especially iTunes, uh, and really tell a friend. We love to spread the message, and we hope more people will check out the show. But for now, we're going to have to say good night and thanks for listening. Good night. Good night.